RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to a special solo Friday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with Beans. It is Friday, maybe a little bit of a shorter show today. Um, have a ton of stuff to get to. I had something come up and we couldn't get schedules together. So for that reason, I am solo and we will be back on Monday with Frank in the saddle as he should be. But until then, let's get into some news because there is a ton of stuff going on. Don't mind the lawnmower in the background if you can hear it. I want to start off with the Schulte case because the verdict in this case came in, but the docket is still busy as anything. Um, There's another hearing scheduled. I was looking at it earlier. Um, There's another hearing scheduled in this case. I'm not sure for what, if it's sentencing or whatever, but they set and reset deadlines today. Um, You know, outside of me, there haven't been very many people talking about this case. Again, it is the... Case of Joshua Adam Schulte, the alleged Vault 7 leaker, um, who is now convicted of leaking. Um, I have my doubts. We went through the story of this with Frank. I've done several interviews on it. Um, I did a video I will put in the show notes for you. But one of the other people that have been covering this is Inner City Press. They do all of the SDNY coverage. They were there for the Maxwell trial. They're there for Pentagon stuff. I mean, the guy is relentless and he's a great, great journalist. He really gets his stuff done. So I wanted to play a clip from him yesterday from outside the courtroom as they announced the verdict. Okay, here we are. Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press. Just now in the Southern District of New York Courthouse, just behind me, Joshua Schulte, on his retrial, was found guilty of nine counts, all nine counts, Espionage Act in full effect uh, for the publication in WikiLeaks of the Vault 7 CIA cyber tools. Um, In the first trial, there was a mistrial. This time he represented himself. We've covered it closely and, in fact, moments ago, submitted via Amazon... 154-page booklet on the case called Brutal Kangaroo. That's the title. Brutal Kangaroo is one of the tools designed by Schulte. Now, the question becomes, there's a status conference in two weeks. He has other charges pending against him. Maybe they'll be dropped because the sentencing of this would be pretty extreme. Uh, He's asked to come to the SCIF. One day next week, he will. He's apparently still under special administrative procedures to um, be unable to speak to the media by any means. We've published... And we're going to continue on the case. Be looking for the book, Brutal Kangaroo, on Amazon and at Inner City Press on Twitter because we are staying on the case here at the Southern District of New York Courthouse. Inner City Press, Matthew Russell. Now, the first case ended in mistrial and the shenanigans that went on with his attorneys. He was he got court appointed attorneys. They ended up being involved in the case somehow for an additional charge or two that went on him because they... Um, had instructed him on how to respond. He wrote it in a notebook. Um, He marked the notebook privileged. The cops and FBI went into the jail, read the privileged notebooks out of the stuff that his attorneys told him, extracted more charges. Then the attorneys became witnesses. So he ended up in the new trial because of all the shenanigans the judge pulled and what he didn't allow against advice of a third party that came in to do a review and everything else. I think a new judge was appointed. It was just a nightmare. He ended up defending himself. And from the live tweeting that I saw Inner City Press doing, because the courtroom was closed, of course, um, they wouldn't let anybody in. Uh, They had to have a side room, which was all private. It was just a big, it was nonsense. And so he was live tweeting the the hearings, and I would go and watch. And it looked to me like Schulte did a pretty damn good job of defending himself. 
in all honesty. He knew what questions to ask these uh, other agents, all of whom's identities had to be hidden and all kinds of crazy. Um, but the jury in this case brought back a guilty verdict. And I say sadly because from what I read, I really don't believe that he did it. I don't think he did it. And he was vociferously defending himself and saying he didn't do it. And now they've got this guy. There's articles about it on Politico, ex-CIA engineer convicted in massive theft of secret info. Joshua Schulte had told jurors in closing arguments that the CIA and FBI made him a scapegoat for an embarrassing release of CIA secrets by WikiLeaks in 2017. A former CIA software engineer was convicted on Wednesday of federal charges accusing him of causing the biggest theft of classified information in CIA history. Remember, the first charge they got him on was child pornography on his computer in the page file. Very strange. Joshua Schulte, who chose to defend himself, I wouldn't say chose. The problem was they wouldn't postpone the trial. And to get up to speed on this case, given the breadth of information and the technical knowledge and know-how needed and the fact that they drained his finances from him, there was no way for him to bring anybody in and get them up to speed in the time that it would take for him to be successfully defended by a new set of attorneys after the judge pretty much made it so his attorneys could not represent him any longer. So they stayed in there to counsel him, but he didn't like choose, I'm going to do it myself because I know everything. No, that's not how it happened. Of course Politico wouldn't get that right why would they joshua schulte who chose to defend himself at a new york city retrial had told jurors in closing arguments that the cia and fbi made him a scapegoat for an embarrassing public release of a trove of cia secrets by wikileaks in 2017 the jury began its deliberations friday of last week the so-called vault 7 leak revealed how the cia hacked apple and android smartphones and overseas spying operations and efforts to turn internet connected televisions into listening devices anybody who is sitting around in their living rooms knows that their television is listening to them it, it happens to everyone. They do targeted ads that way and you know I did an interview with Vicky McKenna who's an amazing host out of Wisconsin this past week. And we were talking about how geolocations used and, you know, how they use that stuff in January 6th, which is another topic we're going to get to today. And we were talking about how it's okay to use it for those things. But when we find mules trafficking ballots all over the country, not okay. Very unreliable, can't really be used or relied upon, you know. So there's that freaking ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, the government's case is riddled with reasonable doubt, he said. And he said in his closing, even though hundreds of people, um, he was singled out, even though, quote, hundreds of people had access to the information, hundreds of people could have stolen it. The government's case is riddled with reasonable doubt. There's simply no motive here. Then the government comes back and says, he's the one, he's the one who broke into that system. He's the one who took the backup, the backup he sent to WikiLeaks. And they never really proved that he sent it to WikiLeaks. They didn't prove it with any information or any forensics. They proved that he wrote some emails to himself. He, they proved that he was on a machine, supposedly. He seemed to have poked holes through that theory. This case, this is what keeps happening. I keep seeing cases like this, cases like, What's going on with the grandmother who's suffering from breast cancer? They just carted off to prison for two weeks. And there is just no way if you're not like a multi and Bannon's case, which we'll talk about, too, 
Who's a, if you're not a multi-bazillionaire, if the government comes for you, you're screwed. You're screwed. There is no way around it. Pray to goodness. Uh, pray to God above that the government never decides to come for you. Because if they do, you're done. There's If they want you, they've got you. The courts are corrupt. The judges are corrupt. You can't get an honest jury unless unless you're someplace where there's some monicum of, of, of decorum and respect for justice. Like, thank goodness for Kyle Rittenhouse. Thank goodness um, Virginia's jury saw through the Amber Heard nonsense. That I know that everybody thinks, oh, that's just an entertainment thing. The shenanigans in that case are something else, too. I might touch on those today if I get a second. It's just, it's craziness everywhere. So you're just, you're screwed. I, there's no other plane there. That's as plain as I can say it. So let's move on to January 6th shenanigans, shall we? Yesterday, which would have been Wednesday, because I'm recording this on Thursday, wink and a nod. The New York Times came out with a piece. The title of which is, It's Just Been Hell, Life as the Victim of a January 6th conspiracy theory. Ray Epps became the unwitting face of an attempt by pro-Trump forces to promote the baseless idea, baseless, it's baseless people, that the FBI was behind the attack on the Capitol. It is just a baseless conspiracy theory. How dare you think otherwise? Forget the fact that now we've got information that there were several people there undercover, as informants, walking through the crowd, directing people. Forget all that. Your thoughts are baseless. There's no basis to them at all. I'm Joe Bidening. That's what I'm calling it nowadays. It's ridiculous. Anytime they use the word baseless, the opposite is true. Anytime. So they wrote this big piece, and Revolver News has been the one really covering... um, really covering this. This went up five hours ago. So Revolver News comes out with a counterpiece. And Beatty put a thread up last night on this because um, it, it's just, it's something else. He says, um, again, this is the one January 6th rioter the New York Times has managed to write a puff piece for. They say, up a winding country road in a trailer park a half a mile from a cattle ranch lives a man whose life has been ruined by a January 6th conspiracy theory. Remember what they do to the people that they need to protect to make sure that their narrative stays together. You have on the one hand a General Michael Flynn who they tarnish and, and they, his service means nothing and they destroy because he is against their plan. And then there's Ray Epps who they champion, who, who did more, which we're going to get to, more on January 6th than the grandma who was just brought up, carted off to jail much more he's held up as some kind of a victim of a vast right wing conspiracy theory you ask these guys plain and simple whether or not there were any FBI agents embedded and the FBI and their ilk can only say we can't answer that question again another one Another one, this case against Jeremy Brown. Jeremy Brown was the guy that came out and said that he was approached by the government to infiltrate Oath Keepers. And he denied it. He denied them. He said he didn't want to do it. And he recorded them. And then he came out of, the, he came out of hiding with it. And he went public with it. And what did they do? They arrested him. He's in jail. Or <laughs> He's in jail. 
so frustrating. Anyway, let me get back to this dramatic narration. Ray Epps has suffered enormously in the past 10 months as right-wing media figures and Republican politicians have baselessly described him as a covert government agent who helped to instigate the attack on the Capitol last year. Now, remember, Ray Epps is in the middle of Freedom Plaza screaming that we all have to storm the Capitol building. Any person walking the face of the earth right now of North, they would be attacking the left wing media would be saying to them they should be in jail. They're conspiracy. They're part of this. They're insurrectionists. They deserve to rot in hell. What happens here? What happens here? Not if they, they champion him as some kind of a hero. Strangers have assailed him as a coward and a traitor and have menacingly cautioned him to sleep with one eye open. Can we just say... I didn't go to January. I didn't go to D.C. on January 6th for a a myriad of different reasons, which I've already gone over a million times. I didn't go. Even though I didn't go when I was still on Twitter, there were hordes of left wing lunatics attacking me, saying that I was the woman in the pink hat. And tagging the FBI and sending the FBI like this was her. They, it wasn't me. It didn't look anything like me. But I was the recipient of that. Where's my puff piece? Hmm. Where's my puff piece? Where is it? Sleep with one eye open. He was forced forced to sell his business. What about the Hunter laptop le- laptop leaker? What about his business that he was forced to sell? Hmm. Where's your puff piece for him? If you care so much about humanity, New York Times. So transparent. He was forced to sell his business and his home in Arizona. Fearing for his safety and uncertain of his future, he and his wife moved into a mobile home in the foothills of the Rockies with all of their belongings crammed into shipping containers in a high desert meadow a mile or two away. And for what? Lies? Mr. Epps asked the other day with a look of pained exhaustion. All of this, it's just been hell. Oh, do I have a story to tell. New York Times, if you're sympathetic, call me. I have a story to tell. So ridiculous. Let's skip tr- straight to the buried lead, says Revolver. Here we see a reference to a text message Epps sent to his nephew, describing how he, quote, orchestrated movements of people to the Capitol after Trump's speech. Mr. Epps also said he regretted sending a text to his nephew well after the violence had erupted, in which he discussed how he helped to orchestrate the movements of people who were leaving Mr. Trump's speech near the White House by pointing them in the direction of the Capitol. Will this text message soon become a matter of public record? What exactly is Epps phrasing? Will the other Ray, will other Ray Epps communications soon come out that will further clarify this sudden need for aggressive damage control? For clarification, here is a video compilation, says Revolver, of Ray Epps orchestrating movements to the Capitol. We wonder how precisely Epps described his decision to do so. There's a few different ones. I think... As soon as President Trump is finished speaking, we are going to the Capitol. It's that direction. That's where our true problems lie. President Trump is done speaking. We are going to the Capitol. That's where our problems are. Hey, folks, we need your help. As soon as President Trump stops speaking, we are going to the Capitol. The Capitol is in that direction. Let people know. Spread the word. (sighs) 
Here. just standing there in in military khaki appearing clothing screaming for everybody to go to the capitol and he has not been arrested yet and then he's on the capitol grounds doing the same thing with the bullhorn on a freaking tower climbing scaffolds this dude escaped everything this dude is the key to all of the insurrection claims he probably influenced Hundreds of people to do th- do do whatever it is they claim is wrong, and yet the New York Times is writing a piece in support of his poor life being ruined. It just does not pass the smell test at all. Getting back to the Times piece, says Revolver. It's also important to note that the piece contains no explicit denial by apps of association with military intelligence, DHS, JTTF, or any cutouts or intermediaries. We have references to, quote, lies and EPS's wish that the truth come out, in addition to denial of association with law enforcement. Revolva continues, I wonder if the author of the New York Times piece, Alan Fuhr, could clarify for the record. Did he ask EPS if he had any association with any intelligence agencies or cutouts of such agencies? If so, what did he say? If not, why not? Fuhrer's New York Times piece describes Epps as a Trump supporter. He says Trump traveled to Washington to back Mr. Trump and that he took a last minute trip to Washington for Trump's speech about election fraud. The only problem is that Ray Epps didn't go to Trump's speech. That's right. This alleged Trump supporter traveled all the way from Arizona to D.C. and didn't even attend Trump's speech. Remember the guys that found him on the golf cart? What happened to those guys? Hmm? They had the FBI show up at their house. Did Alan Fuhrer, the obscure New York Times reporter who penned this puff piece, think to ask Trump supporter Ray Epps why he traveled all the way to D.C. and skipped his speech? For that matter, did he ask where Epps got the idea to urge people to go into the Capitol in the first place? Did it occur to him out of the blue? Did someone else give him the idea? If so, who? The whole purpose of the January 6th committee is to figure out what caused the events of the 6th. Epps was calling for people to go into the Capitol the evening before. Wouldn't it be newsworthy to know where he got the idea and why he was so doggedly fixated on that particular mission? The fact these questions weren't asked indicates this is one of the sloppiest and most transparent cover-up jobs in New York Times history. The Times piece attempts to wave off Epps' January 6th participation as negligible, similar to those who committed minor offenses and weren't charged. Yet Epps is the key person caught on video with an advanced plan to go into the Capitol. He's there the morning of the 6th directing people to the Capitol, and he's right up at the barricade during the initial breach, after which he rushes into the restricted zone. Many others, including Jeremy Brown, Owen Schroyer, Mark Ibrahim, Cooey uh, Giffen, Griffin, sorry, have been hit with trespassing charges for this. But Epps and, and Brandon, for goodness sakes, who didn't even go in, who was on the other side, got three months house arrest and he had to wear an ankle bracelet. This guy's telling everybody to go in there. He's on the grounds. He's in the restricted area. And the New York Times writes a piece about how innocent he is and how his life's been ruined. I smell a pound, if not more, of bull. Here. Epps isn't just open to just a tr- uh, Epps isn't open to just a trespassing charge. Not enough has been said about the significance of the following video, which we'll play. 
Note Epps message. When we go in, leave this here. Epps says this just minutes before the initial breach of the Capitol grounds. How is it not a basis for a conspiracy charge? And then he goes into different cases like Tanios, who fa- who, who faces um, serious conspiracy charges for saying, hold on, hold on. Not yet. Not yet. It's still early. When his alleged co-conspirator asked for bear spray. That has been thoroughly debunked by Revolver News, too. But those guys are rotting away. Something smells very, very bad here. This is a great article. I'm going to put it in the show notes below so you guys can read it and look through all of this evidence. This does not pass the smell test. I just have to wonder what is about to come out that they're trying to get in front of this. It is the most hypocritical piece of dog doo-doo I have ever seen in my life. All right, no day, but one more thing. Yeah, so can we go up there? No? When we go in, are we going to get arrested? We'll leave we go this up here. There? Yeah, you don't need to get Did shot. You arrest us all? There's a few of us, like a dozen or so. Okay, but one more thing. Yeah, so can we go up there? No? When we go in, are we going to get arrested? Leave we go this up here. There? He's instructing everybody. He says, when we go in, leave this here. We don't want to get shot. When we go in, before anyone's gone in. Why is that man not rotting in prison like the rest of these poor people that did a fraction, a fraction of what he just said? Cara Castronova, former former college roommate, by the way. Very weird. Very weird turn of events to see Cara Castronova reporting for Gateway Pond. <laughs> Back at SUNY Albany, freshman year of college, Cara Castronova was my roommate. Completely apolitical-ish at the time. We used to talk about a lot of stuff, but she she was my roommate. <laughs> I loved her. She was crazy. <laughs> She's the reason I pledged a sorority. If it weren't for Kara, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I never would have gotten sick, which made me leave school and change career paths. And then I never would be doing this right. In my life, if I had never met Kara uh, Castronova, my entire life would be different right now because she made me pledge a sorority and I got sick because I pledged the sorority. The butterfly effect. Thank you, Kara, for setting my life path the way you have. But she got this information from an FBI informant that the Gateway Pundit published the other day. We went through that stuff. I read through it. Basically, this um, confidential human source for the FBI was embedded in Kansas City, looked through, you know, did their whole thing, kept on telling them they're not planning anything. There's nothing going on here. They're not planning anything. That doesn't matter. Those guys are all sitting in jail, too. (sighs) Something. Something else. Really. Freaking crazy. So the Bannon case has been interesting. He's still going for a continuance, meaning he's asking for them to postpone the trial weeks until after this January 6th nonsense calms down. He's saying that it's tainting his jury pool. He'll never be able to get a good jury. Supposed to start on Monday. Judge doesn't seem to be having any of it. Um, Honestly, the CNN is supposedly coming out with some documentary on Sunday. Um, so it's going to be he's he's claiming basically they're tainting the jury everywhere. So looking at the docket as of Thursday evening, I'm seeing there was an order to permit another attorney to join the case, a reply to an opposition by Stephen Bannon, um, a memo in opposition by the government. I'm just going to look at this really quickly and see what it says. Um, they're they're opposing the defendant Bannon's. Renewed motion to continue the trial due to pretrial publicity. So he's trying to postpone the trial because of pretrial publicity. Um, he's saying that the government's saying that none of the examples that Bannon's using are actually legit. 
for all kinds of different reasons. Bannon is saying they're certainly legit and here's why it should be. We're waiting on a ruling on that. But otherwise, they're going through now. Um, the, the judge the other day in the hearing that happened basically said you're not allowed to talk about all uh, the opinions about privilege. You're not allowed to talk about what your lawyer did. You're not allowed to talk about this, this, this. He listed off a laundry list of things that Stephen Bannon cannot use in his defense to the point where the attorney looked at the judge and was basically like, well, why are we having a trial? I have no defense for my client because you've removed every last thing that I could potentially use in my defense. And when President Trump came out and basically pulled back the the, the privilege, he said, OK, you know what, Bannon, you know, I'm I'm revoking this for you to be able to testify to the committee. Go ahead. Get on in there. Um, talk to the committee about what's going on. Um, you know, I said there's no way the DOJ is dropping these charges. There's no way. And I think a lot of people kind of misinformed on how this happened. Bannon's attorney was going back and forth with the committee about privilege and privilege issues. His attorney told him, you're not going to testify. You're you're under a privilege claim. You can't testify. He said, "Okay, fine. In the middle of the negotiations, the, the committee sent a criminal referral, criminal contempt referral over to the DOJ and the DOJ decided to prosecute Bannon. He was also, Bannon was asking for the, the, the basis for the decision not to go after Meadows, Scavino, et cetera, because they're under privilege claim too. And they were denied the access to that information. So he's screwed pretty much. He's pretty much screwed. There's, he, he I, looking, looking at this docket, it's, you know, a lot of the, um, um, the decisions on the orders made were made verbally in this hearing. And so it just says order on motion to continue order on this order on that order on this. It doesn't really tell you what the orders say because they were made verbally. Um, So I'm, I'm waiting on that stuff. There was also a transcript, I believe, that became available because once the transcript goes in, it typically takes 60 days, um, 60 days for the transcript to be publicly available unless you're like techno fog and you can run out there and grab it for yourself. But um, so it, it it's just watch the Bannon case. It is absolutely crazy. I did that whole big story about how they spied on his attorney, but it actually wasn't his attorney. They just picked random email addresses for people all over the, the country that had some combination of Robert and Costello in them and got a judge to sign off on warrants to seize all this information. And nine out of 10 of those email addresses weren't his. So they're spying on everyday American citizens. And the only reason why Costello knew they were even spying on him at all is because they got that material in discovery. I don't understand. I don't understand. In more court news, in more court news, the Air Force, the Air Force uh, took a little bit of a hit today. The court has ruled, a court has ruled that uh, it's the Southern District of Ohio. I was tagged in this decision on uh, Truth Social. You can find me there at Tracy Beans. By the way, um, actually, I'll do that later. A district court for the Southern District of Ohio on Thursday issued a temporary restraining order prohibiting the Air Force from enforcing the vaccine mandate against any airman who has filed a request for a religious accommodation. So basically, again, the court said, hey, you guys can't retaliate against these guys until this is all decided. And people have been losing their jobs left and right. If you listen to the show on Monday, which or on Wednesday, I'm sorry, which I highly recommend you do. It was something else. I really want everybody to listen to it. I'm still going through that Kirsch Substack article. Still. Like, it's something. Um, 
take a look at that article. Anyway, you'll see what's going on with this. And I, I posted on Truth and I asked people, if you have had an issue, please comment below. And the thread is insane. And my heart is breaking everywhere, all over the place. It's just, it's, it's breaking everywhere. So I would look into that and read this decision. At least they get a little bit of a temporary reprieve. There's people everywhere just losing their jobs. Healthy people losing their jobs. I, I, we don't need to get into it. You already know. Um, an article just published at Uncover DC by uh, Wendy Mahoney about the Georgia elections. Kevin Monkla had been reporting for us for quite some time. He has been working the Georgia angle with real hardcore factual information that just is absolutely stunning. Over and over, we've published his stuff. He's written for us. And now he came out with a complaint with Kevin. It was Kevin and Joseph Rossi to the Georgia State Election Board and Brad Raffensperger. It is nothing short of absolutely amazing. Two citizens, one an investigative reporter, the other a retired corporate executive, decided to take some election officials to task. Uncover DC reported in detail their findings on May 24th, but it bears repeating with a column on this newer complaint just how significant Moncla and Rossi's work is. The complaint, Wendy says, shows a granular dive into what appears to be a trail of deception. It is a trail of deception to produce a certified recount in Fulton County. The complaint alleges that, quote, votes were simply added onto batches or, quote, discovered to make up the difference because officials couldn't reconcile the recount. If what they found is true, the recount certified by Raffensperger in December of 2020 is nothing more than a flimsy attempt to fool the citizens of Georgia into believing the reported vote totals match the number of physical ballots in the general election. In a perfect world, they write, there should be one ballot for every vote recorded. In the summary, in summary, says Wendy, the complaint allegedly shows that there's no paper documentation of ballots for nearly 42,000 votes. For example, 16,382 of those votes were somehow added to the batches loaded report to the certified result on December 4th, probably because the recount wouldn't reconcile. So they just added ballots. The central focus of the complaint is that the December 3rd totals are 17,234 below the vote counts reported on election night. Election night showed 528,777 votes in Fulton County, but the physical ballots in the recount numbered 511,543. In addition, by the time of certification on December 4th, Fulton County claimed to have found 16,382 votes magically. Almost all the shortfall. Shortfall. Fall. Fall. Moncla and Rossi submitted open records requests that resulted in emails containing attached files. Not satisfied with cursory looks, he used a web browser to open files in their native format. Important timestamps materialized, revealing critical information to indicate that things may not have been as above board as election officials and Raffensperger would have you believe. Starting on page three of the complaint, you begin to see how the duo assembles the pieces of investigation. Some awful fishy timelines emerge. 
Fulton County announces the completion of its recount on December 2nd by the deadline. Emails fly between the election director and Ryan Macias a few minutes after noon on the 3rd, showing 511,543 votes. But then 12 hours later, the certification comes in with 527,925 votes. A Fulton County Board of Election meeting shows that they were aware of the count. They they focus on a man named Mr. Barron, who tries to explain where the numbers came from. They believe his explanation is horse pucky and he has the receipts to show it. Where did those votes come from and why didn't these officials say anything? As they write in the complaint, quote, however, it was done. 16,198 votes were in fact added to the recount between the time of Mr. Barron's email to Ryan Macias on December 3rd and the time of the meeting the following morning. And the article continues. It is really, really well done. I am going to link it in the show notes. Make sure you read it, share it with all your friends, put it everywhere. And while you're at it, head on over to UncoverDC.com and think about supporting us. It is so important. We're at a crossroads here where if we um, if we don't, if we don't raise our monthly um, our monthly subscribers, we're going to have to close. And it pains me to say that, but I really need help. So consider this the 30-second commercial for Uncover DC. Um, Go to uncoverdc.com slash support. $5 a month. I know it's very hard for people out there right now, and I know a lot of you are already helping, but even if a fraction of you guys out there came to the website, signed up for $5, $10 a month, cup of coffee here and there um, to help us stay doing what we're doing, I would be indebted to you and I will prove it to you with the work that we continue to pump out on a daily basis. You can also give a one-time donation. If you go to givesendgo.com slash uncover DC, you can go and give any amount that you'd like. You can make it recurring. You could also subscribe to our locals account, uncoverdc.locals.com, where you can get early access to the podcast. And you can also get a pre-show. Sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it's 10 minutes. Today, it was one minute because I'm doing the show solo on a weird timeline. But there's extras there. There's extras there with our reporters who do live streams. There's extra video content. There's a bunch of stuff there for you guys. There's community, too. It's really important. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this the work that we do, I feel, is really needed and necessary and, and fantabulous. And I would really, really appreciate your assistance and um, and all of those good tidings stuffs. So thank you. <laughs> um, OK, moving on. Moving on. What else do I have here? Ah, here's a little tidbit that everyone will find interesting. It's the Moderna CEO. Seth knows we are now throwing those into the garbage. It's, it's sad to say I'm in the process of throwing 30 million doses into the garbage because nobody wants them. Uh, we have a big demand problem. We right now have uh, governments. We try to contact not only Seth, who is doing great work with his team trying to get demand into the countries, but also we contacted through the, Washington's in, the embassies in Washington, every country, and nobody wants to take them. The issue in many countries is people don't want vaccines. In the U.S., people don't want vaccines. Around the world, we have a lot of people who don't want the vaccine. As the problem Seth and his team are working against. So we don't have a capacity issue around the planet. It is not true. I'm in the process of throwing 30 million doses into the garbage because nobody wants them. Nobody wants them. Nobody wants them. Really? Really? I hope everybody got the memo. All of our tax dollars. I would rather 
them go in the garbage, to be to be honest. I would much rather them go in the garbage than in people's arms. Much, much prefer that. A hundred percent. You guys paying any attention to what's going on with Kevin Spacey? Remember that weird video he came out with like a year ago or so? It's a very strange video where he like was a character from House of Cards. And it was right in the midst of when one of his other accusers tragically passed away. Um, But he's got a whole bunch of trouble. On Thursday, he made his second appearance in a court in London, pleading not guilty to the multiple sexual assault charges he's facing there. Four charges of sexual assault against three men and one charge of causing a person to non-consensually engage in sexual activity activity allegedly occurred between 2005 and 2013 in the British cities of London and Gloucestershire during Spacey's tenure as artistic director of London's Old Vic Theatre. He was granted unconditional bail last month and he denies all criminal allegations. He told Good Morning America, I am confident I will prove my innocence. There's that. And then I believe they're on the verge of releasing the documents in the Polanski case. In the Roman Polanski case. So keep your eyes out for those. And then since I've got about 20 minutes left, I want to get into some of the shenanigans in the Amber Heard case because it does not go away. It is the case that never ends. And I want you to understand what she's pulling because it's something. I keep getting blown away by these court cases. <laughs> but listen, so they go through the entire case. They, they do voir dire on their jurors, which is when you go and you ask the questions and, you know, you, you, you ferret out their jurors. She obviously loses. She wins on a couple counts. She loses, whatever. They get through the whole thing. Then she starts with her pre-trial or her post-trial motions. Um, now, she's going to need to secure a bond, basically an insurance policy, and put up the money that she lost in the interim while she tries to appeal the decision. They hold it. So her appeal is basically contingent upon her coming up with $10 million, which she doesn't have. And her attorneys did the talk show circuit. They're going all around. They're talking about the case. They're saying it was the jury's fault. They're saying that it was, uh, you know, the social media's fault. Meanwhile, they did not use, they, they, they completely, as uh, Nick Rakita last night, he said, they've completely failed as a defense team. And Elaine Bretterhoff, who is her one of her main attorneys had like what was a very distinguished apparently career. But in this case, she looks like a bumbling fool. But I think that anybody around Amber Heard would litigate like a bumbling fool, given the circumstances. So she um, she files a whole bunch of post-trial motions. But the one that really got me and so many other people was that they filed a motion that one of the jurors, juror number 15, lives with his dad. The jury summons went to his house. I guess the jury summons was for his dad, but it didn't have the person's birthday. So he responded to the jury summons and ultimately ended up getting picked. Now, his dad's 70. He's not. They did the entire trial. They asked the juror all the questions they needed to ask. They did voir dire. They asked all the questions. They accepted the juror. They did the whole trial. They never raised a problem. Now, after the trial in the verdict comes in, they're like, oh, by the way, we want a mistrial on this because that was the wrong juror. It was supposed to be his dad, and he showed up anyway. 
instead. And so that's that we want a new trial. And the judge basically laughed them out of court and said, that's it. No more. We're finished with this. I'm signing this final order. This case is over. You guys can go right off into the sunset. But the woman just doesn't stop. Can you imagine for a second being in a relationship with a woman like that? I would go nuts. Now, obviously, I'm not and wouldn't be in a relationship with a woman. But if I was (laughs) and she was anything like Amber Heard, she is petulant and narcissistic and just her dog stepped on a bee and it just it, it was. Oh, I could not stop watching this train wreck because. Oh. This is the case for the record books. It really is. So Elaine or the judge, I'm sorry, has put a stamp on this. It's done. They went after LawTube. They've gone after everybody. They've basically gone after everyone. Um, you know, even even legacy media. If it weren't for the lawyers on LawTube covering this, as with the Rittenhouse trial, some of them anyway, they would have been able to say, oh, a victory for me too. Johnny, you know, Johnny Depp, we, we, the, the whole thing. Oh, my God, I just have so much to say about it. I'm not, I can't even vomit it outright. It's insane. I'm going to look through here and see if anything has happened since I started the show tonight. Look through the interwebs, see if anything has happened. Don't charge your cars during a heat wave. Trump's going back to the swamp this weekend. Oh, this is what I wanted to, I can't believe I almost forgot this. My goodness. So you remember we, Frank and I, had talked about um, the 10-year-old alleged rape victim that had to travel from Ohio to um, Indiana. Well, Megan Fox, we talked about this the other day, reporter for PJ Media, ended up basically coming up with a whole bunch of ways that this is just a nonsense story and not true. And then all of a sudden yesterday, a story dropped that, yes... She was the victim of a rape, this mad, you know, secret girl that nobody knows. Um, And it was it was a it was a man who was an undocumented immigrant, an illegal immigrant who apparently confesses to raping her two times. Now, this all comes out after the AG in Ohio comes out and says there's no case open. We know our people. We'd be litigating this if the doctor didn't report it. Then the doctor's in trouble. But they needed this story to be true. So they sacrificed this girl to make an abortion story. Now they have the fact that it was done by an illegal immigrant and they're 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 pivoting and still sacrificing this poor 10 year old if this is all true this poor 10 year old girl well what comes out today illegal alien rape abortion story keeps getting weirder apparently the man who raped this girl is the mother's boyfriend who is still there with the mother a reporter goes to the house of this young girl, this poor young girl who had to go and have an abortion, which, by the way, she could have had in Ohio. It allows for things like this, their law, rape, incest. So the whole thing was bull, 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 bull crap on the back of a poor 10 year old who we didn't all believe existed because it was just too convenient and apparently does exist. But now they're still using her. Listen to this. La niña vivía aquí también. Did the girl live here as well? Sí, pero ella está bien. Todo lo que están diciendo en contra de él es mentira. She says yes. 
but she's fine. Everything they're saying against him is a lie, meaning that everybody's lying about her boyfriend. She's crying. And the child, are you related to her or her mother? She says, she's my daughter. And then the reporter goes on to say, the woman who refused to provide her name and who concealed her face states that she's not filed charges against the 27-year-old Gerson Fuentes, who allegedly did it, who was charged with rape. It was per the authorities, he, confi- he confessed to having vaginal contact on at least two occasions with the girl who recently turned 10. Therefore, it's estimated she may have been nine years old when she was raped and became pregnant. There are so many things still bothering me about this story. I'm just going to go through them all with you and then we'll close. Number one, did they find a family who needed money? Is this whole thing fake? And now they're ruining this family's life. Is this guy really an undocumented? I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't know what to believe. Or did this actually really happen? And why is the, the, why is the child not being cared for? And not only that, but 10, nine is very young for a period. I'm just saying nine is very young for a period or a regular period. Anyway, it happens. I know it happens younger and younger nowadays. Don't come at me. It's just it is very young. We'll just say that. The mother's crying. The, the, the boyfriend's locked up. The, the left is losing their grip on the story now because it's an undocumented, it's an illegal immigrant who did it, allegedly. He goes and confesses to it. She says she didn't press charges. What a messed up damn situation. And who, if this is all true, who is left? Who is left? The poor kid being used as a political pawn by absolute disgusting human beings. Oh, we'll be following this. This is insane. Like, this is what happens when people start to ask questions about these things. Normally, these stories are just used, abused, and fly under the, you know, fly out there in the legacy media, and no one ever says anything about it. But come on. This is gross. Absolutely disgusting. So we'll keep watching. Anyway, you have been listening to a somewhat abridged Dark to Light podcast with Beans. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 Eastern Time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com. Make sure again, guys, go to UncoverDC.com slash support and please consider donating a cup of your coffee to us each month or two. Or if you're feeling really frisky, four. I'll take it. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you, guys. We'll see you on Monday. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist, so thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 
Bluebirds.com. <laughs> 